This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. Kara. And I'm Dr. Dave. And we have a repeat, our first repeat guest, eh? Yeah, yeah, back by demand from a very satisfied listeners. Dr. Very Mary satisfied. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's such a pleasure to be here. Um, thank you for inviting me back onto this amazing podcast. Yeah, we love Dr. Choi. We had Dr. Choi for, what was it, episode five, you said it was yeah. separating fat from fiction. Um, we're going to talk about other things uh, beyond fat. Yeah, an extension we? Even though she called me, remember she called me fat on the, on the podcast last time? But fat is in pH, Dave. I know, it was different. Yes. But it was cool, it was fun. Um, and Mary Choi is always fun, so this will be fun. Yeah, Everyone's going to have a great time today. Way to, way to set the standards high, Dave. Bam. <laughs> well, a repeat is, that's, that's high stakes, right? Like, First oh. repeat, yeah. It's not because right. we're out of guests. It's because we want you back. So we're super pumped to have Mary Choi back because she's fun and she's smart. And we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about? Like healthy habits during stressful times, basically? I think that's what we're going to talk about. I, I really just wanted to share because um, right now we are in what, week five of of being at home with our families and quarantined or socially isolated. But I think what's happening in these times for so many people are our unhealthy habits are at their pinnacle. I also think that some patients are also uh, exercising more than they probably ever have exercised. Um, and then there's other things that have become our best friends. So uh, the fridge, um, the contents in the fridge. Um, and I think people are taking up baking as if, uh, you I know, could, the, the next flower aisle is gone. There is, yeah, there was no flour. There was no, actually, I never looked for, I have to be honest. i had never looked for flour. I was doing that thing where you look for other people in your, you know, family and stuff. I went for grandma to get her some flour. You're there was so none. sweet, Dave. Yeah. There's no even gluten-free flour. You know what? I loaded up. On she didn't want that anyway. No, <laughs> it's not baking if it doesn't have the gluten in it, Dave. Come on. Um, 
so I, I think that's it, right? It's like people are, are trying to bake themselves out of the apocalypse. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. My husband the other day was like, oh, perfect. More cookies. So everybody in the neighborhood has been baking and bringing over cookies and then more cookies and then more cookies. Um, even our own household and we don't actually bake ever. Um, and I've been baking. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this is it. Is it a, is it passing the time or is it that we're looking for these sugar fixes, alcohol fixes um, to try to support something else? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I think that's what's happening here and our own accountability um, for, for maintaining healthy behavior before so like getting up and going to work uh we're not even Ooh, accountability that. i you know i never thought about that no one's uh talked about that yet we didn't even talk about that in our little pre pre-game huddle i think we 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 shelf accountability for for a minute but i well let's let's actually talk about it right this second because you brought it up but what is accountability right so accountability is someone you accountable to your actions. Um, and I think what people don't realize is that 80% of behavior change is that accountability. Um, if I'm held to my own accountability, it's very, very hard to, to maintain that behavior, right? So for example, if I'm like, I'm going to go work out every day. Uh, am I going to work out every day? Something gets in the way. So for me, it's that my kids need me or I got to finish uh, my son's grade four core French homework, which is the worst um, and the hardest. Uh, the other part of that is, you know, I've got to make dinner. I've got to clean up lunch. I got to get to work. I have, I have patients to see. So um, part of it is who's holding me accountable to that exercise. My exercise, that routine that I was a part of before, uh, COVID shut everything down was I was going to the gym. So my accountability was my, my membership, the, the money I was paying there. So there's a financial commitment is a part of accountability, mm -hmm. but also I had a group of people I was showing up for. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's that sort of team, right. The coach, the, the personal trainer, whatever it is. So there's this level of commitment and responsibility. So although I may not uphold to my own, um, goals, it forces me to push through because of somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden overnight, that infrastructure just collapses. Absolutely. So then, so then what are we left with? Right. It's like, well, you know, I don't really have to go anywhere for nine o'clock in the morning because well, I'm at home and my travel time from my bedroom to my living room where my office is, is, you know, 30 seconds. Um, so now I'm also doing less steps and you know what? So I talked to, so from our first podcast that we did, um, we talked about how I, I, I really cut out snacking. Right. And so a lot of my patient base that I'm now having conversations with these days, they're talking about how, they can't stop snacking, right? And, and so what is it about these days that causes to eat all the time? And so why is it that our habits all of a sudden change? So, you know, I, he I heard this from my patients before COVID all hit anyways. And, and the conversation was, is I can stick to my, my 
nutrition plan Monday to Friday because I'm at work. I don't even think about it. I get up, I have the same breakfast, I go to work, I have my lunch, and then I come home and I have my dinner with my family. And then the weekends are very hard for me. And I think what's happening into the reality of our day to day now is every single day is the weekend, right? And so then what happens over the weekend or what happens on holiday? Right. And so I've had this conversation a lot this week with my patients um, is, is really that we are after an emotion. So what I think that's also a key thing to look at when it looks, when we look at our own behaviors is what are we after? So there's always an emotion here. So what that means is Friday night for me and my household is movie night. So I finished work. It's been a long week. And we, we rent a movie, we watch a movie, we all sit down together, we light the fire. And what happens with that movie is, um, you know, my husband will have a glass of wine, we'll pop the popcorn, um, we pull out snacks, and we just kind of all lay out on the couch and we veg out and we chill out, right? And so what, what does that do for us? But really what I'm after, I'm after spending time with my family, I'm after not lifting my finger, right? Because I'll usually get takeout or I'll bring home um, pizza or it's a very just easy, easy night, right? Mm -hmm. And really it's that I'm just trying to relax. And when I'm after that emotion of relaxing, I let go, right? And, and it's funny, I, I spoke with a patient this week and she said, that's what holidays are for. It's like letting go. I don't want to be restricted to a nutrition plan. I don't want to be weighing out my food. I don't want to be counting how many glasses of water I had. I don't be looking at the toilet to see what color my poop is, right? Did it float? Did it sink? I don't care, right? <laughs> um, I just want to eat what I eat. I want to sleep in. I want to just completely go on holiday. But what people need to look at is how their behaviors are actually trying to, um, they're going after an actual emotion. I want to feel pleasure. I want to feel um, freedom. I want to feel um, like I'm celebrating, right? Um, or sometimes it's actually that I don't want to feel this way, right? Mm -hmm. I've had a real crap day. I'm, I'm really stressed out, uh, you know, and, and I guess in this situation, I've been laid off. Will I pay the mortgage? How do I homeschool my kids? And, and so then, then what does that do? It drives us to seek out pleasure. And the quickest pleasure we've been getting now is from what? It's from our food. It's from our drink. Um, and it's that noshing all day. Nosh, 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 nosh. And, but the thing is, and this is what I tell all my patients, is that no matter how much you eat or drink, that feeling in which you were feeling before, it doesn't make the problem go away, mm -hmm. right? Um, so really, it's just sort of denying yourself that experience because we feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And boredom. I think you missed that. I don't know if you said boredom. Well, and, and boredom is a huge part. And I mean, boredom is actually a massive thing that we talk about in terms of maintaining healthy habits. Um, if we talk about, okay, how, so how do we become healthy, right? Um, what are healthy behaviors? So for you guys, when you talk to your patients, um, what are you advocating for, right? What do you ask during your, your interviews to these guys, your patients? 
Cool, Kara. Um, just all, all of those, as you called them, sexy. Dave called them unsexy. I called them sexy. You know, basics. Like, are you you constantly grazing all day? Are you drinking your water? Are you eating your fruits and vegetables? Are you um, are you moving at are all? Are you chewing your food? Are you moving at all? You know, like basics. You find them sexy. Some people don't, but yeah, th those, they seem so simple and obvious and basic, but they're, they're the foundations. Sure. And so I think for us as naturopathic doctors, these are like, you are my people, right? Because we understand these to be sexy or however, not sexy, but the ways I actually describe what you're, these, these questions that we're asking. These are the cornerstones. These are the key stone healthy behaviors and healthy habits that actually snowball the rest of the results that we want out of our life. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about that, what are the goals that people want? So when you talk to these patients, like, yes, some of our patients are really quite ill and, and their own goals might be, um, you know, can I make it through a day um, and not have to be bedridden, right? Or can I make it through the day without having to go to the toilet 20 times? Um, you know, these might be their goals. But some of my patients that are on a different trajectory that are really wanting to become better athletes, become, you know, uh, CEOs, they're trying to really produce out and, and be greater in all aspects of their life. Um, it's really about living with alignment. So what are they living in alignment for? And I think part of the thing that happens to so much of us is we all know the behavior that does not serve us. You know, there is a knowing. It's like we know smoking is not good. We know drinking too much is not good. We know eating a bag of Kirkland chocolate covered almonds is no good, Mary, but we still continue to do it, right? Um, so it's not about knowing. It's not about knowing that actually creates that behavior change, right? So yes, some people are educational junkies and they need that intellectual information to drive and motivate behavior. But I think the biggest downfall to making behavior change is and thinking, which is completely a falsehood, that motivation needs to come first in order to create actionable change. And so for some of your patients and some of my patients, for sure, that really suffer from mental, emotional illness, um, and they really suffer from depression or anxiety, motivation doesn't come first for these people. And so you might be sitting on the couch watching Netflix, you know, covered in candy wrappers and, um, and, and just getting larger and larger around the waistline. And you're waiting for that like beam of light to say, get off the couch and throw on your running shoes. You can do it, right? Um, but if you sit there waiting, that day may never, ever, ever, ever come, right? And, and I think so much, especially around food and healthy behaviors, we actually think that all of a sudden it's like the skies are going to open up and the Red Sea parts and all of a sudden you're like, here we are, I'm enlightened, and this is the way. But the thing is, is it's not that easy. So sometimes it's actually about these minuscule baby steps in order to create change. And I think the biggest thing too is, um, you know, 
probably definitely for me, there's this level of perfectionism, right? Is I can't pursue forward unless I have the shoes, unless I've got the Garmin Fitbit, um, you know, to track my steps. I got to have all the running gear before I can start getting out there and running. Um, you know, I can't start that nutrition plan until my pantry is completely rid of gluten till I can start, right? Level that I can't attain X because I have to be perfect before I can start. Mm -hmm. I think that concept is so dangerous because, first of all, perfection does not exist. And secondly, if you are waiting for that space of like, now is this passing you by, right? Um, and you might not ever, ever, ever get there. So why don't we talk about small changes, small things um, to make those steps so that we know, okay, this is where I'm going. Um, Can I ask you, Mary, where do you, where, how do you help patients identify or where do you see are the most common, like, places where that incentive comes from like because like i'm just going back to that person sitting on the couch like they're probably scrolling through social media and their friends are all saying oh is it four o'clock i want to open my wine like the the commiserating that's happening right now and the you know i get at the start there was a very traumatic cultural experience happening and you know we all had to land on our feet and there was probably justified cause just to do what you needed to do um and that's not sustainable though over three, four, five, six months, weeks, months, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Please not months. Um, but like, so I, I just feel that weight of sitting on the couch and all your friends are in the same place. Like before you get to the first step, like the little steps, I, I understand that like not having a big goal is awesome, but yeah. Can you just talk to that person? Like, how do you get to that first little step? I think the real question, first of all, is where are you going? That's always what I talk to my patients about. So, you know, a lot of them are coming in because they want these, these lifestyle changes. And so the real question is, is where are you going? And, and let's talk about that. And why do you want to go there? So, you know, a patient, let's talk about weight, for example, is I want to lose weight. Well, why? Well, I want to fit into my old clothes, right? I don't want to buy a whole new okay? I'm thinking as the practitioner, okay, so it's, it's finances, right? Driving their decision to want to lose weight. And finances both ways. I don't want to buy bigger clothes. Um, I want to fit into the clothes that I once had. So there's a, there's a value in there. The other part of it is I really try to get to the emotion of it. So, you know, what is it that you're after by by being 125 pounds, right? Well, I once was 25, 125 pounds. And so then I really get to that is how did you feel at 125 pounds mm -hmm. is, well, I felt attractive. Um, I felt that I could take my clothes off and actually engage in, um, you know, lustful intercourse with my partner. Um, sorry, Dave, I had to throw in a sex thing in there for you. I was waiting yeah. for it. <laughs> um, just keeping, keeping Dave awake here. Yeah. Uh, and so then the next question was, uh, you know, how these, this is my line of questioning is, you know, 
is who you are right now, the person that you're, you're, you are, so the behaviors that you engage in, are they in alignment with who you think you are or not even who you think you are, but who do you want to be? Right. Um, and, and I think there is something about us wearing, you know, multiple masks. Uh, we can be many things, um, you know, like Dave, I'm sure, you know, maybe you are different behind, you know, a bedroom closed door than you are face to face with your patient, you know, versus, you know, who you speak uh, and the words you use to speak to your grandmama, right? Um, different masks, different people, um, but it's all still the same person, right? So mm-hmm. part of it is, I think when we look at true alignment and where we want to go, we have to look at that, right? So, so Kara, your question is, is, you know, how do we direct somebody to get off the couch? Like, yeah, um, take the first step. How do we take that first step? But I think the biggest question is, is where are we going, right? And so then how do we know where we're going? So, okay, mm-hmm. I want to get off the couch. I want to be a more active person or I want to return to um, that active and confident and energized and vital person that I once was. And so, um, you know, there's this amazing analogy of, let's say if we use just only result oriented motivation tactics to get that person off the couch. So I want to be, you know, 125 six pack, look amazing in a bikini. That's who I want to be. Okay. But part of that is really what is the energy of that person? So it's, it's that she's confident. It's that she's, uh, she, she knows, you know, she can run fast. She can do chin-ups. Uh, she has the vitality to lift her children up. She's sleeping all night. She has amazing periods. She's, you know, got flawless skin. She's pooping like a champion, right? Like, so these are the things, right, um, that that person once had. And so that's what I try to get the patient to appeal. However, if we only use just the result as our motivating factor, so I want my house clean. My house is a sty. I want my house clean. So what do you do? You do all the work to clean house. But if you don't actually change all of the systems, all of the steps in order to maintain that clean house, it doesn't matter if you cross the finish line you're going to revert, right? And healthy behaviors is exactly that. It's, can you start to adopt this marathon mentality to know that you have to do those healthy behaviors in place all the time? So the first thing is, is make it easy. So if you know, okay, I'm on the couch, I'm watching TV all the time, right? What is it about sitting on the couch for that person? right? And is it that they, why are they doing that? So there is one thing that you could do just as a start is, um, first of all, I would say goal setting. What are my goals? What do I want out of my life? Um, and, and why do I want them? Right? What is the emotion behind it? I want to live longer. I don't want to be um, diabetic like my parents. Um, I want to be able to uh, lift X amount, right? Um, you know, so what are these tangible goals that you want? And then the other thing is to actually do a behavior inventory. So what are you actually doing? And so you can actually start to uh, mark this positive, neutral, negative, right? So uh, I get up at six o'clock every morning, right? 
And then what do I do at six? So from six to 6.30, I grab my phone first and I cruise through my phone, right? Um, is it productive? Am I just on Facebook? Am I just trying to understand, you know, um, why Lady Gaga had her heart broken and, and you know, J-Lo saved her and I want to know all these juicy details, right? So like, how is that actually serving my day? Um, is it positive? Is it neutral? It's probably negative. It's not really eating into any of my productivity. It's not helping me get going in the morning, right? And so could I probably scratch that behavior? Yeah, I could. Um, and then I could probably get up and do something else. I could do journaling. I could do more, you know, focused thinking for my day. I could meditate. Um, you know, and then I go downstairs and I make coffee, right. And I start to get, you know, breakfast ready for the kids and all of that. So, you know, that's a positive, you know, I shower, get ready for the day. So I could go through my day, right. And, and start to actually just look at the behavior rather than judge the behavior, um, or tell myself, okay, I'm a lazy piece of scum and this is all I do. And I'm a waste of a human being. And I'm just gonna just sit here and waste my life away. Right. There's no point. Um, so instead of doing all of that is, can we just take inventory, right? So just mm -hmm. take inventory, what's working, what's not working, how is it serving you? How is it not serving you? Is it neutral? And the other part of it is, are you willing to make a change and are you willing to make a change now? Right. Um, is the question. Mary, I sense a, a book recommendation coming up here. Is it, uh, sounds, it sounds like some, uh, atomic habits that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I've totally, this is obviously a book that I've, I've just read. Uh, Dave, you totally outed me. Um, and so this is an amazing book. No, there's some good stuff. Like that's why when you're saying this, I'm, I'm, it's triggering me cause I already, cause I, cause the stuff is good in that book. And I just, you saying it uh, just reminds me cause the stuff in there is good. I mean, the inventory thing and the, I think you were talking about at the beginning, sort of like the kind of person you want to be. Like if you say I'm a runner, you'll do things that help you identify yourself as a runner, right? Sort of the person you want to be that you were talking about. Anyway, keep going. No, but I think that, so that's the next piece, right? Is I think this idea of uh, visualizing who you want to be. And I mean, psychologists have looked at all of that so much, right? Is um, when people come in and they want to discuss their nutrition plan or, um, you know, how to fix their eczema or psoriasis, it's really about what the work of a naturopath is, is we're trying to actually motivate these people for behavior change, right? We're trying to get people to record when their periods are coming. We're trying to get patients to look at their vaginal mucus to know if they're fertile or not, right? So part of it is what is motivating this individual to want to do it. Patients that are trying to make babies are really, really motivated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my perimenopausal women that are trying to get a grip on their hormones, their marriages are teetering on the edge because they're so ragey um, and the period dragon is coming, you know? So part of it is like, how do you tame that beast, right? Um, they're motivated. They also are, you know, don't want this uh, aggressive relationship that they maybe have with their teenage kids. So now their kids are going through puberty and, and they're going through their second puberty, right? In, in perimenopause. And so these women are motivated the people that I find are really motivated for this change are definitely my CEOs and my athletes and all of that, because there is a, there's a performance aspect, right? They want to be better. So the question is, is how do you appeal to that audience that maybe doesn't have already that growth mindset in place? 
So, um, you know, I think that inventory is really important to say, okay, this is what I do now. How am I ready to make those changes? About is the identity. So, so, so the person that um, is an athlete or that is a bodybuilder or, you know, a lot of it is I want to look like her, right? The question is, what is her doing? You know what I mean? Is her actually eating a sleeve of Oreos and sitting on a couch and watching Netflix? I wish, right? <laughs> I wish I looked like that and could do that, but she's, she's probably not, right? Um, she's probably busting hitting the gym, you know, having packing or spinach salad for lunch, maybe weighing out her dinner, um, and then drinking all her water. And, and, and that's what she's doing. But I think when we see this goal of what it is, whether it's on social media or in, in our magazines or whatever it is, attaining that is easy. And, and we don't see the work right? The steps that we need to do in order to get there. So, um, you know, I think really the, the first thing is, is make these changes easy, right? So um, maybe the first goal, Kara, for that patient that's sitting on the couch is, um, I'm just going to go for a walk today, right? Um, I don't, there, there is all this research about calling out. So I call it the call to action. And so, um, you know, research looks at what step of behavior change and patients that uh, just say, I'm going to go work out. And some also won't. So you're only going to probably get about 30% of the people actually following through on the exercise. The patient that says like, I'm going to exercise, um, because, and they get this messaging that cardio, it's good for their cardiovascular health, it's good for their mental health, it's good for their hormonal health, they will have a higher percentage of exercising, but not much more, right? So the educational component isn't all that motivating. So that's the same thing that we should be doing, but then why aren't we doing it, right? The third aspect is actually what I call the call to action. So, so calling out the the where and the when right so what is the action in which you want to do so i want to exercise okay great i'm going to exercise when seven in the morning before my kids get up and where right and you can also even call it duration how long so i'm going to work out mat in my living room and then every tuesday and thursday right those patients have a 90% chance of actually accomplishing that task, mm -hmm. right? And so maybe that's the first place is calling and, it, and make it so bloody easy, right? And it's not like, I'm going to go for 10 kilometer run every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? But you've been sitting on the couch for a month, you know what I mean? So maybe that's not such an attainable goal. Maybe it's just, I'm going to lace up my running shoes. I'm going to go for a walk Monday, Wednesday, Friday for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. After and the other way around too, right? Like another thing uh, he talks about is making bad habits hard. Adding friction to bad things would be the other side of what you're talking about. Maybe give a couple examples of that. Yeah. So the whole idea is the, the concept of, um, I think the first thing is really this, this mindfulness of our bad actions first, right? So like every time 
you know, I have a patient that I'm working with who is an avid beer drinker, loves the beer, loves it, loves it, loves it. As soon as she starts drinking the beer, the problem is, is when she starts, it's not the drinking itself. It's when she starts. It's when she has one beer, she can't just stop at one. She's into four, five, six, right? So then asking her now, how often are you doing this behavior? And it's every single night, right? Um, and so then, so then we're talking, what, we're, we're 24 beers in and it's, you know, Monday to Friday. And so that's what's sabotaging our health. And she already knows it, right? So then I ask her, okay, well, where are the beers? Well, they're, they're in my fridge. Okay, well, how often are you going into the fridge? Well, I feed my kids breakfast. I feed them snack. I feed them lunch. I feed them another snack. I'm prepping dinner. So she's seeing these beers six times a day, right? And so every time she sees that beer, she loves the beer. Wouldn't you want to drink the beer? So like how easy is it for you then to, to say no to that beer? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that, and then also you're homeschooling the kids, you're having a horrible day, you're, you're by yourself, you're socially isolated, you know, you're watching the news and you're anxious. So yeah. It's like there's nothing possibly stopping you and you don't have to show up to work tomorrow morning mm-hmm. at nine o'clock, right? So what do you do? You crack a beer. So my suggestion actually, you know, based on this idea of create more friction for the bad habits is take it away from the fridge. If you really want a fridge or if you really want the beer, you know, you have to go down to the basement. It's on the top shelf in the storage cabinet. Mm-hmm. Or get it out of the house completely. You know Mm. what I mean? So then now, if she does want the beer, she's got to go down and it's warm, right? Mm. So who wants a warm beer? She's got to climb on a ladder, get the beer. Maybe an Englishman. Maybe an Englishman. (laughs) Oh, she's she's not English. She's Irish. Um, I don't know if that changes anything. A lot. Changes a lot. (laughs) Um, so you know what I'm saying? So, so do you know what would change it? It would be me drinking four beers. That reward is not worth it. Cause I'm half Asian and get the, the I've got that red gene. Uh, so four beers to me, oh my God. I would feel one, I would be drunk as hell and I would feel like shit. Like I would, I would be hung over within half an hour and feel terrible. So it'd be that, fun for a little bit. I bet. I bet it would be fun for the first little bit. I'd have to ask Ryan. <laughs> maybe it's a very 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 short window <laughs> a fun yeah, that- one but it's almost like we planned this though i'm just i just thought of another thing mary i thought of another book that i've that i've read or listened to because i only listen to books now called willpower doesn't work do you know that book i don't know that book but i also agree and and i'm seeing this clinically in will be my next read now, Dave. Yeah. Um, but Benjamin th- Hardy, willpower doesn't work. Creating an environment for success. Okay. So let's talk about willpower. So what is willpower? And willpower is this idea, right? That we have this like brute force, head down, persevere, push through, and that that uh, battery is infinite right? So therefore, if you fall off course, if you falter, if you eat, you know, 
those chocolate covered almonds. God damn those chocolate covered almonds. If you, if you nosh on those, if you eat the bag of chips, if you drink too much wine, you know what I mean? Then what? Then you are weak. You are shamed. Yeah. You are um, all of these horrible things and you have no willpower. But I think what you have to look at in terms of willpower is it is not forever infinite right and and also willpower really talks about this concept of only achieving results right and and i think we have to look at it is is that goal um attainable and and you know as a parent i know for my kids if i make whatever goals that we're trying to work on whether it's okay habit changing behavior like potty training or getting them to sleep by themselves all night or um whatever, finishing their goal or whatever their positive reinforcement is to uh, get them to continue that behavior. If the reach is too far, they have no willpower for it. Um, but also willpower is coming from this place where um, there's so many things that can drain that. So, mm -hmm. you know, just like right now, you're now grocery shopping and it you can run in and grab one thing and run out. There's no grabbing your groceries right now, right? You're no. face masking, you're gloving up, you've you know, you essentially make yourself into a human condom and you go to the grocery store. <laughs> okay? Because yes, you don't want to get any. I bet your condom sales are down though. No, they're up apparently. They're up? Yeah, they're up. Wow, how do you even know that? Oh, I know. She knows things. My God. She's, she's very well read, that woman. I studied uh, the author. What, are people buying like 10 of them for a glove or what? That would make sense. Not the time uh, to procreate. It's not what you want. Well, there, there's going to be a whole bunch of COVID babies. There, there will be. There will, really will be. The baby boom. Yeah. Um, and lots of divorce probably after this too. Um, mm -hmm. But... You know, I think that the whole idea was uh, it's, it's not so easy, right? So then it appeals to this healthy behavior. We can't even buy, you know, all your junk food, right, that, that easily. So I think that's, that's the piece about, uh, well, I'm just trying to go back to willpower, but I, I don't actually remember if I answered your question. What did the book say? Well, you were just talking, well, so the willpower, I, one thing I'll say before I talk about that book, which I thought was really awesome, The Willpower Doesn't Work, work by um, Ben Hardy, um, was that willpower is probably changes depending on what you're uh, dealing with too, right? So it goes back to that why. It goes back to, mm -hmm. like, if I don't give a toss about something, then I'm probably not going to do it. You know, so that's why it's really key, I think, to know about because then uh, like if you uh, I don't really need to go for a swim right now. But if there was like a little kid drowning, I'm going to go try and get it. That willpower is there to do that no matter how tired I am. Do you know I mean like there's there's I don't know, there's maybe some loose connection there between like what you actually really care about and willpower. And because willpower, like you said, is finite, but it's probably going to be uh better or more deeper pockets if it's something you care about right so that's, that's one thing i thought that sort of ties into what you're talking about like why you want to do something um and then oh the book yeah the book is just like take the example of if you're if you have like an exercise room that you have to walk through 
uh, to go to wherever. And it's, it's kitted out with everything. You've got all the stuff. You're way more likely to work out than someone who has nothing, right? It's just the environment there is more conducive to the behavior that you're looking for. So his whole thing is like, uh, create an environment conducive to the person that you want to be, I guess would be the link between the two. So I think you, you mentioned something so key, right? Is, um, build your environment to succeed. Mm -hmm. So what are you after? Right. So it takes you back to, okay, what is my goal? What is it I'm after? So yes, if your if your goal is to get fit and move that body, then yeah, throw your resistant bands right there. Put your kettlebell beside the TV. Um, you know, if it's to learn guitar, make sure your guitar stand is sitting right there with your guitar on it. So every time you cruise by the living room, you're passing it. You know, I think that's the problem now is like for you to get to your home office, you got to cruise by the fridge, right? Every Every time or the pantry so make sure the beer the the fridge is not stacked with beer right and the chocolate covered almonds are not sitting right there in the pantry every time you go by so that you're not so tempted so can we eliminate the cues for bad behavior can we actually highlight the cues for the good behavior so that therefore we're more likely to engage um, I don't know about you guys and getting your patients to take their supplements, but this comes up a lot, right? Is how do I get my patients to take their supplements? Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing I hear all the time is patients will be like, I'm so bad at taking my supplements. And it's not that they're so bad at taking the supplements. It's just that we actually haven't created the proper system yeah. for them to be reminded to take the supplement, right? Um, or that piece about the tension is, um, and you mentioned that piece about friction, Friction and tension is what actually causes behavior change. So just like you said, that piece about willpower and the boy drowning in the water, right? That example there is that puts a whole lot of friction on your own behavior. If you don't do a single thing, what are the outcomes of that, mm -hmm. right? They could be pretty goddamn fatal, right? Mm -hmm. So part of that is it forces you, your behavior. It forces you to right? What if it's the same thing that goes for any type of behavior, shopping behavior. So, uh, you know, who were the first people that went from, you know, the cell phone that was the size of a phone book, right? Over to the flip phone, over to an iPhone, right? It's like, how much tension do you need before you actually cave and buy that phone? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, it's even like, uh, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but I've got like thousands of photos on my photo reel on my phone. It's like, bing, your memory's full, your memory's full, your memory's full. And it's like, you know, at how many points do you cave and be like, I got to buy more memory, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's all these reinforcements. So it's that tension piece. It's like, how much tension can you withstand before you make that change? So patients now I got a ton of calls last week and I got a ton of calls last week because it's week five of COVID right and so people have been doing what they've been doing for a matter of four weeks okay which is eating and drinking all the things all the time Mm -hmm. Okay. So they've gone on perma holiday and whether it's them, you know, suffering from grief, suffering from loss, just coasting, um, you know, just, just re sort of finding their footing from this change, but they actually are getting to the point where 
they're suffering gastrointestinally, they're not sleeping at night because now they're uncomfortable. They actually put their jeans on for the first time in four weeks and they realize they can't put them on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, now they're, they're getting reflux, their joint pain. There's all of these sort of lifestyle, you know, healthy, unhealthy things that are coming up for them. Um, and they, they're realizing like, I can't go on like this, right? So that's the piece of friction as well, right? That's creating mm -hmm. them to say like, I need that accountability because I got to get this behavior in check before it really, really starts to slide sideways, right? So, you know, friction has lots of, lots of purposes, but I think part of it is what is your friction point? and what creates that change. But the first part is realizing what it is, right? And so a lot of people in order to start making the change, just like I said, they need the, the what and the where and the when, mm -hmm. right? And so stating that date. So sometimes, you know, we see the biggest types of healthy behavior change happen when someone gets a diagnosis. Well, I was gonna That's, say, what about like, yeah. you know, your cancer patients are, I mean, there, I don't know how many cancer patients you guys see, but I don't see too many. I refer them all to, uh, here's a, here's a plug for Jill Shane house in Toronto. I give, I love Jill. Yeah, yeah, I give Jill all my, uh, patients uh, who come with the primary concern of any cancer, but, um, the ones that I have seen in the past before I started doing that are just crazy motivated. Like they do everything that you, they don't need to put any, you don't need to put their supplements in a special place. They don't need to uh, make sure, or they don't forget to get their, you know, fruits and veg and stuff. They do it. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about that, Dave, because that piece is about friction too, right? So like, mm -hmm. what is the tension point? Because for these patients, it's about life or death. I mean, my cancer patients that I have seen is, you know, I have this one case in particular, and we've been working together for many years. And she had been wanting to make all of these healthy habit changes, but it took getting cancer for her to actually do it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and she said, I'm healthier now that I've got cancer than I've been my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's the tension point, right? Um, I think from, from like a healthy habits and especially food habit perspective, the, the, try to get my patients to do is get rid of the processed foods because I think one of the misconceptions is that healthy eating, healthy food choices are actually about conscious control. And I think that's very false. Um, you have smell and taste receptors everywhere in your nose, in your mouth, in your lungs, right? So uh, the food industry are made up of these very clever engineers, and they have figured out all of these places to make food absolutely desirable. So like, for example, the Oreo cookie, right? It has the perfect balance of crunchy and soft and sweet right? And it, it has this blend of flavor. And so that they already know that this is going to light up your brain like, like fireworks are going to go off, right? Because every single pleasure center in your mouth, in your taste buds, in your brain are lit up. So the fact that you want more, 
and more and more. This isn't about your conscious control or even just like we talked about earlier, willpower, right? To say like, yeah, no, I can say no to that. So I think a lot of it is that we don't even understand all of the things that are being planted, 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 planted. You driving along the road, so you guys are in Owen Sound, I'm in my car, I'm driving to come to see you guys, right? It's like, what is along the way? It's like, oh, there's a Tim Hortons, there's a McDonald's, there's a Not very much. <laughs> there's a cow. <laughs> <laughs> You've got some pit stops along the way. Um, but even still, you know, you get these plugs of these things and it's like, you weren't even hungry until what you were like, Oh, there's a turn off, right? Like that's your environment. You got it. So it's the cue, right? And, Mm -hmm. and so part of it is there's so many things that are happening at an unconscious level that drive our habits and drive our behaviors. I think that we even know how many inputs we're getting. So the first part is that surveillance in the inventory is, you know, am I really hungry? Um, Why do I feel more sedentary? Because we also know that too, the more and more and more sedentary we are, right? The more and more we continue to be sedentary, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I just talk about it is like, let's just get off the carousel. What do you need to get off the carousel? How do we motivate you? What it is the things that you want out of your life? How do we get you there? Um, If now is not the time, fine, but let's figure out a time in which you're ready, right? Um, And let's get that going. So it's, you know, that piece that we talked about motivation needing to come first in order to get you lifted off the couch. Part of that is, you know, I had another conversation with the patient this week and she talked about exercise and she said, you know what, Mary, I hate it. Like, I, I actually hate exercise. And so then I said, well, then why do you do it? Why do you really feel like this is the behavior that you really need to engage in? And she was like, well, I feel like I've accomplished something. I know it's contributing to my health. Um, I know it's helping me slim down. And I feel really good after I've done the exercise, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with sex. You may not want to do it in the beginning, but you feel okay when you're in the middle of it, right? Or maybe at the end. And so what if it goes the other way around where you really want it in the beginning? <laughs> I don't know. There, there's not a That's lot a different of women. Podcast. That's or you're different with podcast. the wrong partner if you don't want it by the end. <laughs> I know. Or you've got to see your naturopath to really talk about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's the, the piece that, you know, some of these behaviors that we engage in, they actually snowball into really positive things after right? So you know what? I know I engage in exercise, even though it's like pulling teeth first thing in the morning for me. But once I get started in exercise, it sets me up much better for my day. I'm mentally strong. I'm clear. I'm positive. I'm productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more present with my, my family, my kids, my colleagues. I'm, I'm brighter. I'm more brilliant. Um, and I think these are all the spaces that we have to remember about these real keystone healthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I also really talk about the food, right? Is the healthier things we put in our body, the things that we know we put in our body, and we just keep it really bloody simple, right? If you know all the ingredients are in your food, then you know that you're not being hijacked by chemicals and, um, you know, flavor engineers to make the orange cheese coloring, you know, tastes like cheese and tastes like fat, right? 
Um, and I know I'm not going to get anal leakage when I eat that, right? Um, so, so these are, you know, simple, high quality life things. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's hard to transition from anal leakage, um, but you know, the, the thing is with the um, Oreo, which thanks a lot. Like I haven't had one in a long time and I'm, I really want one now, but um, I don't have all the greatest habits. I have some good things that I do in one. So I'll ask you, uh, this is one thing that I do, or it's more what I don't do. I just don't buy shitty food. And so therefore it's harder to make, I don't know, like it, it makes a, um, it makes it a hell of a lot more difficult to eat it if I don't buy it. So what do you, what do you say to the people that uh, have a tough time not buying the food? Cause I, I don't want all the fruits and veg and then the hippie aisle, right? That's it. That's all I do. I don't do anything at the odd time. Maybe I get some, no, they've got hippie frozen stuff now. So like I don't stray from those two areas of the grocery store. So what do you say to someone who's like, who buckles and goes and gets Oreos? I think the question is, is why are you buckling? Right. Um, so either it is that um, there's that place that we talked about is, you know, make the decisions from the seat that you want to be sitting in. Right. You know, they talk about dressing like the dress, the job that you want rather than the job that you're in. You know what I mean? And, and I think there's a huge part to that is you're identifying and aligning with something, but yet you're, you're sabotaging yourself in essence, right? And is it because you inherently really don't believe you can say no? If you're in the grocery store, right? Why are you picking up Oreos and putting them in your cart in the first place? And is it because we've you heard it on the naturopathic podcast and they talked about it over and over again. And now you have a craving <laughs> for Oreos. Um, right. Or is it that you don't actually believe that Oreo cookies are not that bad for you, or you believe you can take them home and only have one. Or you um, deserve a treat. Or... Yeah. That was thinking about that mm-hmm. one. You deserve a treat. Yeah. And, and I think that's it. Right. But that's where you have to start to look at the behavior. So, you know, a really fabulous mindfulness exercise when it comes to really eating is um, writing down how you're feeling or thinking or who you're with before you engage in that behavior. Right. And so what you might notice is like, oh, I only drink more than X amount when I'm with these friends, right? Um, And some of you are like, oh yeah, I've got those friends, right? Um, I only do X when I'm, I'm alone or whenever I'm really angry, I do this. When I'm feeling like I deserve, I do this, right? And so then you'll just start to feel these things out. Um, You know, how do you stop a behavior when you're in the middle of doing something? I think the one place is actually to be really conscious of it first, right? Like, oh, I put Oreos in my cart. Um, And it might actually be unconscious because you're always cruising through, you know, the biscuit aisle and you need to always grab those carbohydrates. But some of it is that, right? The education around, oh my God, I'm only wanting these because of all the stuff that's in them. So it's driving my craving to want them. Um, but I know if I bring them home, it's not going to be serving me in any way. So can I release this behavior and can I leave these here? Mm -hmm. 
I uh, maybe it'd be fun to dissect this I've, uh, in this quarantine. I've actually figured out, I think, something that works for me for exercise, which I have, you know, as a busy person, as we all are, it's, it's sometimes hard to get into those patterns. And I'm someone that tends to be all or nothing. Like I'll get into a pattern of exercise and then life gets crazy and I get out of it. And so what's being good is being able to compare where I was like January, February, which was crazy busy, full caseload, kids, you know, kids with all their things going on, you know, business owner. I just like, I was, I had tried to do some exercise at that point. And what I realized in hindsight was it was too much. I was too depleted and too tired that the exercise on top of that was making me feel like shit. Like I, and then I got sick. I got a sore throat for three weeks. Like my system was at capacity. Then adding that exercise in was too much. So it's interesting as this quarantine has gone on, my husband said, Kara, we're going to just do this simple exercise. I can't go to the gym anymore and lift the weights I normally lift. So simple 20 minutes, kids can be downstairs running around and we're going to do it together. And I love it. Like I look forward to it. I don't feel like shit afterwards. Like we're doing it together. Uh-huh. That ties it into what you said at the beginning yeah, though. You're doing it together. Accountability. Fun. Uh, it, it, and it's simple. And I don't feel like the reward afterwards is one, we enjoyed time together. And two, I don't feel like, like completely wiped. I feel actually very energized and good. And I love that my kids watched me watch us do it together. So, um, a lot of the factors that you have talked about of building those habits, like that, that example really shows that it works. I think the biggest thing in this, this space is, is finding our new rhythm, right? And what are habits? Habits are things that are become part of our unconscious. It's things that we do. It's like you got dressed this morning. Did you get dressed? I can only see your top up. Um, but I'm wearing whole- sweatpants. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Um, I actually put jeans on for you guys. Uh, but, uh, the whole, the whole idea here is, um, I think we have been rocked out of our daily habits, right? And how do we establish a new balance? And, and I think this whole idea, you know, Dave, I saw your post that there is this elevation in consciousness of what's happening right now when the whole world has been put on pause and it's really making us look at many, many things, right? And it's really slowed down this whole idea of globalization, productivity, um, and, and giving us really this gift of time, right? And forced slowdown. It does not uh, jive with many people, but it, it's really giving us some time to reflect on some of this um, stuff that's going on. And so with this space of time, you know, Kara, like you said, it's like, okay, I'm finally exercising and I'm finally actually able to put this stuff in um, and and look at how you made that happen. You made it happen in your home. You made it happen with your partner. Uh, you were able to do that with your kids. Um, so part of it is because I think number one, it's easy for you because you know exercise is something that's important and you already value. The second part is you have a partner who's able to motivate you and keep you accountable to do it. Um, so then you do it. You know, for me, exercise. Um, I love doing it solo. So yes, my husband will ask me to do it, but then my kids will jump on my back and, and then it's really just more of a, 
ragey exercise time and I feel like uh, my own time is being <laughs> thefted away by these small little munchkins. Um, so for me, it's like I exercise today too, actually. And it's been, uh, I love exercise. And that's one thing that's been really challenging for me in this time is because that is my time. And I haven't been able to have my time because I've either been here at the clinic um, and doing all the jobs that I didn't sign up to do. And now I'm doing all of them or I'm home with, if, with my family. Um, and so that, that piece where I used to get on my own, mm -hmm. um, it's very hard for me to reclaim that time. So what I realized is I was like, I am so much better when I exercise. Uh, I feel like I've given myself something. And so I, I went for a little run today, nothing, nothing major, but it was the same thing. It's like, okay, how can I get half an hour even? And what am I capable of doing? And just keeping it super simple. Right. And, then, um, and the thought of, of something is better than nothing. Cause I would, I was the same before, like when I was doing those, like a, a more intense, longer workout, I wanted it by myself, no kids around, like at the time of day I preferred, you know, there were all these criteria that, no, this is my time. This is how I do my exercise. So the risk at that though, of it looking, yes, this is perfect was that when all of that environment could not conspire, it often didn't conspire to, to create that perfect environment that I would just give it, I, it just wouldn't happen. So I love the lesson I've learned is that, hey, this is not maybe my favorite way, but it's a way, it's a different way. There's different benefits. And, you know, I can always in the future do exercise a little differently sometimes, but I know this works at the worst case scenario. Yeah, it's sustainable, right? It's mm -hmm. sustainable in the present environment. Well, I think that's it, right? Is what is the perfect way? And really the perfect way is the way, is the way that uh, the path of least resistance. And, and that's in the time that works for you with what you have available to you, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's the other piece is a little also goes a long way. Right. And so those healthy habits, um, you know, can you do just a little bit? So like, do I need to scarf down only comfort food for dinner every single night? No. Um, you know, do I have to be eating every single night? Like it's a holiday? Uh, no, but you know, maybe Monday to Friday we do salads, you know, all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's our usual. So how do we create a new balance? How do we create a new rhythm? Um, being clear, number one, on what it is that your goals are. And number two, making it really, really easy. And if you're having difficulty following through on those healthy habits, you know, take it from the lens of the person that you want to be. Mary, Sorry, you froze there for a minute. We, I, I think we got you back. <laughs> um, Mary, before we get to your one takeaway, because again, this episode, I think as our listeners are listening is full of really good thoughts that will lead to some actions for them. Um, I just, I have to go here because, you know, I know Dave is chomping on the bit of, uh, of some issues and societal issues that are coming up surrounding this quarantine. And so, and it fits so perfectly. And I have to ask, so when we're looking at COVID it's happening right now, I want to talk to you about 
creating change and perhaps maybe for the practitioners listening, because we know that the susceptibility to COVID versus like hospitalizations or even fatalities, the percentage of those that happen in people who have comorbid conditions, so whether that's diabetes or heart disease or hypertension, it like skyrockets. So the fatalities and, um, and hospitalizations in people who don't have those diseases is very, very low. And the risk is quite high if you have, have those diseases. So I think maybe from a professional standpoint, I'd love to hear your opinion on how to create change for something that is a longer term goal, right? Like, like empowering our patients to say, Hey, you know, what does you, what do we want your health to look like in the future? Cause that's going to pandemic proof you. That's going to improve your resilience to something like COVID, or it's going to improve your resilience to something like cancer. Or when you get, you know, if you get hit by a bus, right? Um, we can't say we're preventing it, but there is a huge role for us to play in creating change and creating healthy habits to create a healthier community. And um, our conversation really fits into that. I just, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on how we do that. It's hard to, it's hard to um, motivate people for something that is like a 10 or 20 or 30 year process. Yeah, I think, I think as practitioners, we can measure certain things in their blood, right? We can look mm -hmm. at cholesterol, we can look at insulin, we can look at fasting sugars, we can look at hemoglobin A1C, you know, we can, we can look at some of these factors to really show patients where they are in their progression of disease. I think there is this whole idea of, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but can you force it to drink? My father, who is a raging diabetic on insulin, if I were to say you can never have white rice again, right, right, white rice, right? As <laughs> yeah. a Korean man, he was like, what's the point of living, right? So yeah. for him, the exchange of, you know, diabetes, right? Prevention, for him, he doesn't care, right? He was... <laughs> It was like, there's no point, right? Bring on the fish yeah. fillet and bring on my bowl of rice. Um, so obviously I wouldn't work with my father. Um, he is not my <laughs> not your ideal, ideal avatar. No, yeah, absolutely not. Changil Choi, you'll have to find somebody else. But uh, I, I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, I think as practitioners, we need to work with the patients that are willing to make that change. Fear is a massive motivator. It is a massive, massive motivator. And when you're staring at, you know, um, down the barrel at death, um, at a massively compromised life, I think that's motivating enough for people. You know, is it that they need to get to that point where it's all of a sudden that you have diabetes? You know, I have had many, many patients that, you know, we've seen and we've diagnosed them with diabetes because we've seen it and that enough. And it's because they've seen it. Their parents had it, their grandparents had it, someone's on dialysis, right? So they've seen it. Or even my patients now that are sitting in this space of like, can I go outside because I have a lung disorder or I have a cardiovascular um, illness, I have hypertension. And so they're actually very motivated to make changes. Um, I think the biggest work that we have as practitioners is to support those people when they come in and they're ready to make those changes and really our work like our conversation today is how do you help them make those changes 
I think we have a real skill and a real capacity because we have the time to have that conversation with our patients. How are you sleeping? How are you pooping? What are you eating? When are you eating it? How much of it are you eating? Um, and we have a real capacity to educate, but you know, as the research shows, educating a patient is not enough to carry them through for that behavior change. So how do you hold that patient accountable? Is it by weighing them? Are your evaluation tools correct? How often do you follow up on blood work? Um, so that you can actually physically show this patient, like you are getting further and further and further away from the ledge, right? You don't want this person to slip and fall because then what, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if they're sitting across from you or on the phone with you or doing a virtual visit like we're doing now with patients, we have a real, real capacity to help transform this patient. And that's what I would appeal to every single naturopath is, you know, Kara, I saw your post on you potentially becoming a medical doctor. And I'm way because uh -huh. <laughs> um, I, you know, I get really choked up when I talk about naturopathic medicine like this, but we have a gift and that gift is to be able to, um, oh my God, this is insane. Um, it's not though. It's awesome. Is, well, it's, it's to be able to share this um, humanity, right? Yeah. So it's not about, it's like, you can't eat gluten. Well, your, your, you know, your eczema is never going to get better. Leave my office. Right. I, th I think the biggest place here is how do you help that person to get rid of eating gluten? So what are non gluten things? Um, you know, what are high glycemic load foods? Uh, how can they cook them? Um, what are the resources for these patients? So how do we actually walk with them and, and support them so that they can make these long lasting changes um, mm -hmm. that will change their life forever? Mary, why, why are you crying? Uh, I think my, I'm very hormonal. Uh, no, not that. Um, that makes you more susceptible to crying, but it's not why. Uh, I think I'm, I'm really passionate about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, Dave, really? Yeah, really. This? I am going to do this because it's awesome. Because I, I, I'm not susceptible right now to crying, but there's parts of me that want to. Hang on. That's crazy. And we're so good. Well, um, and that's where my question came from too, right? It came from a real source of passion and frustration about yeah. the role that we can play and are not allowed to do. I, I mean, I without getting completely and totally political, right? I, I, I think in part what, what is challenging is that the public does not, they're not fully enlightened as to the capacity in which we can help. Yes. Mm -hmm. There you go. And for the patients that are outreaching to me, Part of it is, you know, uh, I used to work at this clinic uptown in Toronto and it was a very affluent community and the people that came in to see me were very, very educated. However, 95% of the people 
that came and saw me. So everyone was kind of, it was a, a high end women's fitness club and everybody would sort of book in. So I got free 15 minute uh, with every single uh, person that signed up for the gym. Um, and they would meet with me. And the first question I asked them is, uh, what do you know about naturopathic medicine? Have you ever seen a naturopath before? I would say 90, 95% of the people had absolutely no idea what I did. Mm-hmm. And this is, these are people who read books, who were educated, that come from money, and they had no clue what kind of offerings I had. And it was only in the education and sitting down and talking with them that they were amazed at all the things that I had to offer. Like, why, why hasn't my family doctor ever talked to me about this? And, and I think, you know, there is a great hole in medicine that we have a, we have a role to fill, um, but people don't know what that is. And, and it's not their fault, right, either. Um, and, and I think this is why many naturopaths struggle financially to make ends meet. And I think this is why there's also profound amounts of competition within our own field um well you guys really took this conversation totally down a different way but um you know this but it's important mary like that's why we're that's why we're doing this podcast that is 100 percent the reason why we're doing this podcast that's why i couldn't i couldn't let it go no and and i mean this is why i greatly respect um both of you because you, you know that um, you guys are on this plight to really get people to know who we are, why we're so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the lives that I've touched and that I've had uh, really this pleasure of being able to witness and, and, and walk beside, um, they know that naturopathic medicine is great because they have been able to do the work. But I think the biggest thing here is that there is work. And so some people are not ready for the work. Uh, Some people don't want to make the dietary changes. Um, Is that really our avatar or who we're after? You know, the people with the lifestyle illnesses, Kara, like your question, Mm -hmm. their product of why they are sitting where they are. um, Yes, some of it is genetic, but a lot of it is because there's many, many habits that they've lived with their whole entire life and maybe they're not ready to actually be the architects of their own life and make those changes. Mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe um, they didn't know, right. That's no one is talking about that. Like when I was reading the list of the, the people who are succumbing to COVID, when you read that list, those are by and large preventable diseases. I have not heard a politician or I have not heard a medical doctor or a public health official talk about that. I just haven't. And so if that was my dad there, like, would I want him to have known 10 years prior when his blood sugars were just kind of creeping that, you know what, this is actually not just diabetes, like your uncle and your dad and everybody else seems to get when they're 60. Like this is, this is something that will affect how you're feeling now. And there's like very big things we can do. You can feel good. And you know, that, that risk is completely preventable. Yeah, I mean, I completely, completely agree with you, right? Um, we're just talking and preaching to our own choir, but I think that 
if we can get more and more people um, outside of our own circles to understand that mm-hmm. we really have the capabilities to help educate people to make these changes. But people also, I think what happens is they don't actually look at these habit forming ways like we've talked about today, right? Um, so much that we've learned is education is the key, right? Hippocrates, they talk about um, doctor is thy teacher, right? So, so what you teach, right? But even people know, it's like, okay, if I start pounding all this fast food, right? Um, I'm going to get diabetes one day, or I'm going to be obese one day. Um, I think a lot of it is people do know that healthy, that what they're doing are not healthy. I think the biggest question is, is how do we help these people to change? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's what I'm learning. The more and more people I work with on weight loss, um, I've gotten people to lose lots and hundreds of pounds, but that's not my goal. My goal is how do I make sustainable change for each and every single one of my patients? Um, how do I appeal to them that a healthy way of living um, gets them so that they can stand in line at Loblaws and Sobeys and Metro or you know wherever um, and wear a mask and gloves and they're okay to go or they can actually go shopping for their neighbors because no, they're not at risk. Um, I think it's, you know, when you're sitting on dialysis, um, or like COVID is knocking at your door. Now you're like, Oh shit, I probably should have exercised a little bit Mm -hmm. more. Right. Um, I think we, we have a real public responsibility, um, as do you guys, which is why I know you're feeling this, you're shouldering this responsibility, which is why you're doing this podcast in the beginning. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think, I think the universal consciousness is absolutely shifting and people are, are, um, and I think all we can do is we just keep showing up and we keep showing up and we keep showing up and, um, and we get really, really, really good at what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but honestly, I think that's it. It's like, can we force people to change? Absolutely not. Um, can we enlighten people and can we, you know, educate them as they come into our office? Absolutely. Um, I think just more people have to know what we're doing. Yeah. That's it. You know, the conversation I have so much is why didn't my doctor tell me about this? And it's not like I'm trying to poo all over you doctors. Um, I think it's that they don't have the capacity because they only have a short amount of time. There's a waiting room full of people. They are there to deal with acute illness. They are there to tell you when you've crossed the threshold, you don't have diabetes yet, lose some weight, come back and see me in a year. Mm -hmm. Well, how do I lose that weight? What if I've tried all the things? Like, what if I'm insulin resistant? How do I know I'm insulin resistant? Doctor, why won't you tell me to check my insulin, right? So, I mean, these are the conversations I'm having all the time. Um, well, it's not really part of the, of the, um, the system, the culture of medicine at this point, right? So it's not really their fault. They're good at what they're um, taught, really. And there is, like you said, this massive void uh, where Nash Pass fit quite uh, beautifully. Um, and that's that's what I'm struggling with right now is the idea of everyone's still got a mentality of this or that. I'm not saying a naturopath is the only thing. I'm not saying a doctor is the only thing. At some point, uh, the average person has to be able to understand the complex idea 
that there's a place for this and a place for that, not one or the other. And uh, what, if all we hear about is ventilators and vaccines, um, we're going to have a tough time changing the dialogue uh, about what health really is. And we're going to get what we deserve if we don't change that up. And I think there's a chance for that to happen now. And again, I'm not against ventilators and vaccines. See, I, I know some people will take that the wrong way. That's the, that's the uh, kind of environment we live in. So I have to be careful, I guess, but cannot say it. Sorry. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, you know what, Should you we... guys close it up, wrap it up. Um, yeah, I, I, I hear exactly what you guys are saying. I know this is a very emotional time for the profession, um, patients, uh, really just all of humanity. And I think I'm feeling all of those feelings. Um, just don't give up, you know? Um, and I think that's all we do, right? And uh, you're right, it's not this or that. Um, although you guys have called this that naturopathic call. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Amazing. You should call it this, um, this or that. Um, anyhow, it's you know. That, but it doesn't preclude the this. <laughs> and, and I think that's it. I mean, we should probably open up to have another conversation of talking about who we are and what naturopaths do and, you know, how we can yeah. work uh, side by side with, with doctors. And um, that conversation comes up a lot, right? It's like, Mary, I'm seeing you, but don't tell my doctor, right? Because like, I'm the mistress, right? Like how bad is that? Yeah, yeah, Ex exactly. Like they're going outside the relationship, right? Um, but this is more fun, by the way. Well, yeah, I would say so too. Um, but part of it is, you know, it, it's not that you're you've got a wandering eye and you're looking elsewhere. I think it's just that the answers are not always in, you know, this or that place, right? It's it's really about. Um, seeing what works for you and and this is like anything this is like all the books that we talked about in the beginning this is like lead experts in every single area it's it's really about how can i distill down the pieces that are the most important for me and what's my take home and and how do i build that all into my life so that it works for me um but yes you know do i think naturopaths have a very important role to play in people's wellness in their their life absolutely um have i seen profound change in my patients by working with them absolutely um do i love what you guys are doing absolutely That's is it. mary Choi our favorite person to have on the podcast at this point in time kara 100 <laughs> percent. well it's like i say to my patients i say there's, there's a couple i'm like i'm not allowed to have favorites but you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, and those are the best. And we got her crying for something really, really yeah. meaningful. So that's it. Yeah. Sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna reflect back some words about you because that you said so. Th well, thank you for coming on again. And we oh, want you. We for having want me. you again. But thank you for showing up for us and our listeners. And you are really, really good. And you are perfectly, perfectly you. And we just love you you're like the perfect mix of like geek with like so much heart and compassion thrown in so we love you <laughs> i'm gonna make you cry again <laughs> we should cut it here cut it here mary we love you and uh 
yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing what you bring to uh, to your patients, probably specifically, and you make the podcast more fun. Oh, you guys are so good at stroking the ego, um, and definitely thank you for making me cry. Uh, mind you, it's like anytime I speak about the profession, it always brings me to tears, and I, I'm I'm not sure why, but. Uh, you know, I'm wildly passionate about what I do, but I, I really am so grateful for both of you for, for putting all this together and inviting me on and, um, you know, provoking me to think about some amazing things. And uh, um, I love spending time with you guys. Likewise. So Kara, for, for, future note, yeah. for, uh, for the future, Kara, don't book her in the third week of the month, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I will check in with her uh, flow app before we okay. rebook. Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. The Ragey so Beast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank All you, right. Mary. Love Take you. Care. Bye. Bye. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.